Hey friends, this is episode number 174 of Life Repurposed, and I'm bringing you something a little bit different this week. I'm taking a little break from the regular broadcasting, and this week is going to be a session, part one of four, from a women's retreat I did recently. So we're going to jump right in. As we get started, you're going to hear me reference some things directly to the group I'm going to tell you a secret. I wore a microphone in my pocket connected to my phone while I was speaking. This first session is titled Refreshed and it focuses on the story of the woman at the well. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. This talk is based on the beginning of a four-part Bible study series that the first book is out. And so I thought I'd give you a little introduction just before we get started in the first talk. And so here's a little bit about the Remade Bible study series. Have you ever faced life's curveballs and felt fewer in pieces? There's no need to be a Bible expert. This book meets you right where you are. So what's inside? Over six weeks, you'll dig into the Apostle Paul's story and his timeless letters, no fancy degree required. You'll explore thought-provoking questions and reflections, and go a little further with micro-studies throughout the week. Renewed is like a roadmap to rediscovery, renewal, and the kind of joy that sneaks up on you in the midst of life's messiness. It's like catching up with a friend who's been through it and wants to share their hard-earned wisdom. Themes such as redeem, restart, repurpose, revive, rejoice, and repeat light the way, showing you how to find beauty in the cracks and grace in the chaos. It's sprinkled with humor, relatable examples, and a healthy dose of soul-searching, and this book is your partner in spiritual growth. Whether you're flying solo or diving in with a group, Renewed has you covered. And don't worry, I left plenty of space for your notes, scribbles, and doodles. Ready to take a journey toward renewal, hope, and some serious soul-soothing? Grab your copy of Renewed, then get comfy, and let's dig in. This weekend is going to be about having an encounter with Jesus. It's not just about rest and relaxation. It's also about having an encounter with Jesus. And there are some people back in the day who had an encounter with Jesus, and man, would I love to interview some of the people who were alive when Jesus was alive. But we have God's Word, and so we can look at that. So tonight we're going to be looking at one story of somebody who had an encounter with Jesus, and then the rest of the weekend we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul and how his life was dramatically changed. And this is part of a whole series that I titled Remade. And I love our E-words. You're going to discover that really fast. (laughs) Everything is remade, repurposed, restart. So we're going to just do a few of those this weekend. There are some people who missed the point of everything, the Pharisees. And we don't want to be the Pharisees and miss that encounter with Jesus and not even realize that he's right there and he has the power to transform our lives. So we're going to be looking about what it means to be remade 
and thinking about it in terms of a work of art and how God takes some of the things that maybe aren't so lovely and he has a way of taking the trashy stuff of life and making it beautiful. That's something that I've been passionate about for many years. Back in the day, it was a necessity to decorate my home with garage sale finds. And so um, I was just talking to, who did I meet? Was telling me about the uh, 100 mile, yes, the 100 mile garage sale. Has anyone done that? Because some of you are from Wabasha, I know. So back in the day when we were trying to do some decorating, the kids and I took the minivan over to that 100 mile garage sale. I think it was in May, May something or other. It was cold. And we went 100, or 50 miles up on Wisconsin side to 50 miles on the Minnesota side. And that was how I would get things. I would repurpose them and use them for decorating in my house. And so I started a blog about it. I blogged about before and after pictures because who doesn't love a good before and after picture of something that's been repurposed? And it was just a decorating blog. And then somewhere back in the middle of that, I realized, wow, this is really a metaphor for life. Really, God takes something that isn't so pretty and turns it into something that brings him glory. And so I started to add a little bit of like a devotional message into that in my blogs. And it just eventually became something I was obsessed about in the speaking that I do. So I do want to show you one thing that I repurposed. My husband went to see his dad recently, and um, his dad's downsizing and sold the farm to um, Phil's sister. And so he's cleaning out, and Phil found some of his old toys. This is the spot where I showed the ladies a vintage toy truck of my husband's that I had planted with some succulents in the back of it. It's little. He had, he had too many trucks, I think. So um, these are fake, but if I really wanted to ruin the truck, I would put real plants in there. But anyway, this was the actual toy that he played out in the sandbox with. And I like to look at that rusty piece and think about how it's still really cool, even though I didn't do anything but wash it. I didn't paint it. I didn't do anything but wash it. And then I stuck some plants in there. So maybe you're somebody who doesn't love DIY stuff. Anyone here who's like, I do not like do-it-yourself shows. I don't like home and garden TV. It's okay. You can admit it. If you're one of those people, if you're not crafty at all, that is okay. But I have the feeling that even if you're not, you have seen something that someone else has done and you've admired it. You've looked at that before and after picture and said, wow, that's really cool. I would have never thought of doing that. And I will never in my life do it. <laughs> my mother looks at some of the things I've done and she's like, I don't like rusty. She likes shiny, shiny things, and she paints things. That's okay. That's her. She has her own version of repurposing. Anyway, we love amazing outcomes, but before we get to the outcome, there has to be a before. So let's start there. Let's start thinking about things that are broken. A broken typewriter becomes a work of art. I have one in my office. Doesn't type a thing but it just sits there like a big monument. A broken electric teapot, cut the cord off, put some flowers in there. Broken cameras, I have them all over my house. I pick them up for a dollar at a garage sale and now I have too many of them, but still. <laughs> they become a conversation piece. They don't take photos anymore. But when we look around us, there are broken people all around and they aren't quite so obvious. It isn't obvious sometimes the broken hearts that are inside. And sometimes when we have broken trust, broken relationships, broken dreams, broken faith, 
broken lives, the other people can feel it and it can become bondage eventually. And when we don't see any hope, we think we're going to stay broken forever. And I'm here this weekend to tell you that none of us have to stay broken forever. And I also want you to know that God doesn't have to break you first. Like, not everyone has to go through the same kind of transformation. Sometimes we think we have to have a story just like somebody else's. And you'll discover this weekend that mine is a story of a kid growing up in church who went to Sunday school and there was nothing dramatic about my before and after unless you knew me back in the day. All of it was something that was transformed on the inside. And I'll be telling you a little bit about how God has changed some of my thinking about broken people. So when we understand how Jesus ministered to broken people, then we can begin to experience hope. And that's where we begin to find joy. So we're going to be looking first at Isaiah 61. I'm going to move off that squeaky floor spot because I don't know if you people in the front, but that kind of stuff will just drive me nuts. (laughs) And I wiggle too much when I'm talking. We're going to look at Isaiah 61.3 first. And you'll see some of the verses on the screen. That's just so you can follow along in the translation I'm using. But you're welcome to use your Bible. You're welcome to use your phone app, whatever you're using for the Bible. Taking notes, this at least gives you a place to know what I was talking about if you want to write that down. This is going to be in the New Living Translation of the Bible. I like to use that when I'm speaking just because it's easier for me to read. It's in everyday language, and it's easier for me to talk through. But I love to study in many translations of the Bible. So in case you're wondering, that's the New Living up there. So starting in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair, in their righteousness, They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. That passage talks about wearing sackcloth and covering yourself in ashes as a sign of mourning. Burlap was used to make sacks, which sounds pretty obvious, right? (laughs) Sackcloth. But we do some different things with it today. If you look at, like, where have you seen it show up? I have a couple of photos of where it may have shown up. At weddings. And one more, for decoration. I don't think that's what it was used for back in that day. It was used for the practical thing. And then if we wanted to show an outward sign of mourning or sadness, then we might put on that itchy cloth as an outward display. Now today, I've never ever worn burlap in my house. Anyone have burlap pajamas that you like to sleep in? (laughs) Nope, not me. But... There are some things we do that are very similar to that burlap. For me, back in the day, it was some pretty ratty sweats that I think my husband didn't want me to wear anymore. It was a ponytail. It was a really stained sweatshirt that I love to live in. And there were some days where I just thought, if I just stayed in this sweatshirt and these sweatpants forever, I'd be okay with that. And so sometimes we display our sadness and we display our disappointment and our discouragement in different ways. 
So we're not wearing sackcloth, but if we think about it in terms of people who are sad and putting on ashes, this is about an appearance of sadness. So let's go back to Isaiah. The promise was written for the Jews, but we have a clear connection to the promise. One thing I love about scripture is that there's so much of it that wasn't written directly to us, but it's for us, for our learning, for us learning about God and his character. And so as we look at scripture and we see this promise to Israel, we know that that same God that made that promise to Israel makes promises to us. We know that he is our rescuer as well. And the other beautiful thing is when we see how the Old Testament and the New Testament connect. And one of the things I love is when Jesus himself says words from the Old Testament, because then we see where the connection is made. So Jesus fulfilled the promise that we just read about from Isaiah. And in case we missed it, he makes it obvious who he was in Luke 4. So let's take a look at Luke 4, starting at verse 14. This is again from the New Testament, and this is Jesus talking. Well, it's actually a story about Jesus, and then he talks. So starting at verse 14, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. There are two pieces of scripture that he pulled from different places in Isaiah. One was Isaiah 61, which we read, and one was uh, part from another one. It was customary then to stand when reading scripture and then to sit down for the teaching. So Jesus did the same role as any rabbi would do. He stood, read the scripture, and then he sat down to begin teaching. And can you imagine being in the crowd when he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He's saying, that's me. Those verses are about me. I am here to fulfill that scripture. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. They waited so long, and here is Jesus right there in their midst when they can have a personal encounter with him, and he's saying, that's me. I came for that. I came with that promise. He exchanges our death penalty for eternal life. He sets us free from the bondage of sin. And ultimately, he provides that repurposing in our life. He brings us refreshing. So this weekend, I said we're going to be using a lot of RE words. And tonight, in the time that we have left together, I want to focus on the word refreshed. I want you to think about what it means to be refreshed. Sometimes being refreshed means giving something new energy. Like I take a nap in the shade and now I'm refreshed. 
Sometimes it means to update, like, and you go out to eat. Anyone say, I don't, did they say this anymore? May I refresh your beverage? That's what, I remember as a child, they said that. Do they still say that? No, <laughs> I don't think they do. It also means to replenish, to fill up again. So if you came here this weekend feeling like you need to be refreshed, this is the place for you. Have you ever been so thirsty there was nothing else you could think about except for getting a drink of water? I've been on an airplane like that before. If somebody could just give us some water, I'd be so happy right now. And then if you're hungry and you don't get that, what happens? You get hangry, exactly. My husband knows when we are in the car and I say, I'm getting a little hungry. He's like, here we go. We're going to take the exit and get some food now before she gets angry. <laughs> Maybe you've been around a tired child who's hungry, tired. You know, I actually act a lot like my grandkids sometimes. When I'm, when I'm hungry, thirsty, and tired, that's like the trifecta, right? That's the thing where I, I just have to have something. I want you to close your eyes for a second and just take a deep breath. How does it feel to pause? You can open your eyes now. Some of you almost fell asleep there. Some of you are so afraid when the pastor says it's time to pray in church that you're not going to be able to peel your eyelids open. I've been in that place before as well. When you stop to breathe and you acknowledge God's presence, there is refreshing. And I hope you take some of that time while you're here. Tomorrow after chapel, there's going to be a little time of quiet where you can go down by the water and do a lot more of that breathing, where you just spend some time with God. There are times when God shows up before we even realize we need him. I love that because I don't even know how thirsty I'm going to be for that time of refreshing, and he shows up before I even need him. So maybe you're somebody who at home, you're serving. Maybe this weekend to get here, you had to get people lined up. You had to get volunteers who were going to cover the 10 positions you do every Sunday morning. Maybe some of you are going back tomorrow night because you couldn't get somebody to cover that. God knows what you need, but sometimes we miss our own thirst. So we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing on the woman at the well. Maybe you've led a Bible story about this or a Bible study about this. Maybe you've studied it a hundred times. I want you to listen and see if there's something you've never noticed in the story. It's amazing to me how I can read a Bible passage so many times and all of a sudden I'll realize that there's something there I didn't see before. So maybe that will be you today. We're going to be looking at John 4. So if you're following along in your Bible, you can have John 4 open. And I want to give you just a little bit of background about Jesus and why this is significant. He's passing through Samaria with his disciples I've been doing a lot of study on it because I'm working on a Bible study book that includes this story. And so I've been digging into like things like Greek and commentaries and all that. So I'm not going to overload you with all of that research. But when you start to research, you will find out that some people think that it was unusual for Jesus to go through Samaria and other commentators think that that's just the way they went. And so I love studying it from different people's perspectives because if I get too bogged down in one perspective, I teach it one way, and I've even written it in Bible study books before or devotionals, and then 10 years later I'm studying and I go, whoopsie, there might be another perspective on that. So just know 
that I'm encouraging you to be curious when I tell a Bible story. I want you to go to your own Bible and look at it and do a little bit of research after we're together here. But if we were to look back, we would know that Jews and Samaritans did not like to relate to one another. The Samaritans were uh, people who had Jewish traditions and beliefs, but in with it, they mixed things from other gods, different kinds of worship. So it was a little bit confusing. And so the Jews that were purists didn't like them. And they also didn't like their eating habits and all of those kinds of things. They, they just weren't all in line with the Old Testament laws. So it was unusual for Jews to be passing through and having a conversation. And so here we have Jesus at a well. The disciples have gone into town to try to find some kosher food, which may have been difficult to find in Samaria. So Jesus is going to just chill out here at the well. We don't even know why he didn't go into town with them. He knew why, but we didn't. We don't know why as the readers. So Jesus is sitting there. He's thirsty. And a woman comes along. And we pick up the story in John 4 when the woman comes to draw water. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. She says the obvious, right? <laughs> Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Again, obvious. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Before I keep going there a little back on that, this is the same Jacob that we see in the Old Testament. This is Jacob's well. And so you can see why they have some Jewish heritage because she's talking about their ancestor, Jacob. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. She's talking about water. Jesus is talking about water. But she didn't have an understanding of what he was talking about. I'm not sure I would either. So they have this discussion about water. And the first thing that we see that I want to pull from this story is that, number one, Jesus understood her real need. See, she thought she just needed a drink, and he thought he needed a drink, but he also knew what she really needed. So in addition to the needs of our bodies, we have within us a deep need for spiritual renewal. If you've ever been hungry or thirsty and you've gone and opened the cupboard and then you open the refrigerator and then you go back to the cupboard and then you go back to the refrigerator and then you say, there's nothing here to eat. There's food everywhere, but we don't know what we want. And you see, Jesus knew exactly what she needed, even if she didn't know yet what she needed. And maybe you don't know what you need today. Maybe you came here because some friends said, you need to come to this retreat. I don't even know if I want to go. Well, Jesus knows why you're here. In verse 14, he's, Jesus said it's, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I've dug around a little bit and looked at Greek words. And it, the word there talks about 
literally leaping or jumping up when it talks about springing to life. There's another one, the word is gift. That one's also used in Acts to talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same word is used there. And you see, Jesus skipped the small talk. He didn't talk about the weather. He jumped straight into talking about deep things. So let's pick up in John 4, 16. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? I can never say those words. Where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. It's just like what he did in Luke when he read from the word and he said, I am the one. Here he says it right to the woman, I am the Messiah. And suddenly Jesus isn't talking about water anymore and he goes really deep. I want you to think about some of the things maybe you've searched for. Recognition, appreciation, equality, acceptance. And think of all the places that you might have searched for that. Maybe in friendships, possessions, Shopping, social media, status, food, overcommitment, serve, serve, serve. The second thing we see here with Jesus is that he connected instead of condemned. You see, he didn't start talking the finer points of theology or doctrine with her, even though she tried to go there, didn't she? She tried to go there. She started to talk about you Jews worship this way. And, and he is just going right beyond that and looking at her. He connected with her instead of condemning her. And he knew the truth. He stated the truth about her life. And sometimes when we relate to other people, we want to go to the theological arguments or we want to go to like pointing out the truth. The scripture says this right here. And he's just relating to her as a person. And he's presenting her this gift and saying, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift, and then the gift is right there. I am the Messiah. So in the middle of the deep conversation, when it's just starting to get good, what happens? Let's go to verse 27. John 4, the disciples come back. They come back with the food and they're shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Eat, eat. They're so focused on food. They're missing what's happening around them. 
They're missing a revival of people running back into the city and saying, them, could this be the Messiah? And then Jesus says something to them. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And then their response is, did someone feed him while we were gone? I don't know, but I can really relate to those disciples. There's many times where God's putting something pretty obvious right in front of me. And then I'm just like totally, literally focused on the wrong thing. Jesus tries to explain to them that there's something going on here. And the third thing that we see is that Jesus continued his ministry. He continued the ministry through her. He didn't wait for her to get a seminary degree. She didn't have to go to Bible study. She didn't have to take a bunch of classes. She just immediately went back to the village and told everybody, I met the Messiah. And they came to see for themselves. Jesus continued the ministry through her. We probably, if we were recruiting people for our churches, would have overlooked this woman. And yet Jesus said, I am the Messiah. And she said, I believe. This is what it means to be refreshed. This woman experienced a refreshing that we have not experienced if we have not stepped into that relationship with Jesus. We are refreshed because of an encounter with him. And did you notice that the woman doesn't care anymore about getting water? She's running off, leaving her bucket there, She's, or her jar probably. She's going into the village because she wants everyone else to experience too. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. And if you think you have to get all cleaned up before Jesus wants a relationship with you or before he wants to step you into some kind of ministry, this is an example of what an encounter with Jesus does. We hear the truth, we are refreshed, and we can tell that story to somebody else. So when we come back to our roots, we connect with the source of that living water. And if you've been somebody who you've been off doing your own thing and looked in all those places I mentioned, and you've been trying to figure out how do I, how do I find refreshment in those places, it's coming back to the source of living water and saying, this connection, this relationship with Jesus is the source. So let's look at those three things that I mentioned. They are, one, Jesus understands your real need. The second one was Jesus wants to connect with you rather than condemn. And if you're experiencing defeat in some area, he wants to restore. There's grace for your imperfections. And the third one, Jesus wants to continue his ministry through you. It doesn't have to be standing on a platform. It doesn't have to be speaking. The best ministry is sometimes the people who aren't even noticed. My husband's ministry is making coffee for people, really. <laughs> he just makes sure the coffee keeps on flowing and he likes to cook desserts. So if you eat desserts, it's probably, right, Lara, does he, <laughs> he's the dessert guy. <laughs> if he's not here for desserts, Lara will send some home with somebody so that he gets his cookies at home because he wasn't here for dessert. Your ministry can be in so many places. It might not be leading worship. It might not be standing here speaking. All you need is to be renewed and refreshed by Jesus. And it might be a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody at work that you see every day who's so grumpy. And your role is to figure out if I can get Mr. Grumpy Pants to smile today. I don't know what your ministry is. But as we close in prayer, 
I want you to be asking God, what is my next step? Do I need to just reach out to you because I have a need? Do I need to accept that you you love me? You want to connect rather than condemn? Or is it that you're calling me into something, a new ministry, some way of connecting with other people? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the examples that we see in Scripture. For the woman at the well who we see who came to have this encounter with Jesus and was changed. And I ask, Lord, that as we seek your word, as we connect with you in a relationship, as we ground ourselves in the truth that you are the only one who can clean up our messes, I ask that you would provide that hope and that reassurance that comes with knowing that you are the one that does these things. Of knowing that you are the one who takes our ashes and our mourning and turns them into rejoicing. You are the one that plants us like oaks next to, next to a stream of water. That you are the one that provides the living water. That you are the Messiah. Thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to, to worship tonight. And I just ask that as our evening progresses and our conversations unfold, that you would continue to help us to minister to one another, that we would encourage one another and that we would share your love, and ultimately that you would be honored and glorified in the conversations that we have. Thank you so much for this time together, and we, we, we praise you and bring you the glory. In your name, amen. Thank you for your grace with the quality of audio in some of the places there as I was talking. Like I said, I clipped on a microphone and snuck my phone into my pocket and just hit record and I saved it so that I could share it with you. Um, you also might have picked up there that I mentioned my husband who happens to be um, on staff at the place where I was speaking. And so I mentioned his ministry as well. I'm going to be back next week with part two of this remade series of talks. And so you'll get that next week. I'll be sending out resources to my email list. So if you're not signed up for that, go to michellerayburn.com and subscribe. And that way you'll get notified of new episodes, but also get links to those free resources that I make every week. And if you want to get right to the show notes for this episode, just go to michellerayburn.com slash 174. All right. Thanks for listening and I'll see you again next week. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 